right, welcome to Fun Sexy Bible Time. Thank you for choosing to be with us today. Uh, as always, I don't recommend that anyone listens, but now that you're with us, you're, you're in the underground, we welcome you with open arms. With me today, I've never tried this before, we've never tried a mobile podcast, but my guest is rolling the back hills somewhere in the southeast right now, and he agreed to be with us. Nate Claiborne, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Can I refer to you as Natty C for the rest of the podcast? Um, you could call me what they called me when I worked at Lowe's, which was Nasty Nate, if you want to. <laughs> and it was not because of anything I did. It was just my manager decided that that sounded good. <laughs> were, you the, were you one of the, uh, the guys that has to work in the garden center and is like perpetually sweaty? Um, I was perpetually sweaty, but it was just because I was a cashier and that was boring. And so I always asked to go out and push carts in. So uh, maybe listen, it was that. I don't know. Listen, those giant biceps aren't going to, aren't going to take care of themselves. But this was, this was pre biceps. Okay. This was, this was the 160 pound version of Nate. <laughs> I too had a 160 pound version of myself and it was, it was not pretty. Yeah. This was about the same. Yeah, Nate will not. Nate will not probably admit to this himself. So I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. He has probably the largest biceps in the Christian blogosphere. I can say that confidently. And uh, we, we will talk. That will factor in later because we have to talk about feats of strength. Oh, as, as, we, as we often do on Fun Sexy Bible Time. Anyway, Nate uh, blogs regularly at his website. You can find him at NathanielClayborn.com. He also writes for Christ and Pop Culture. You can find him there. You can find him on Twitter. Um, Nate does a lot of uh, theology books on his site. And uh, Nate, honestly, I don't know how you do it. Because sometimes the books that you review and you talk about, um, I, it's like I, I go to sleep when you read the title. Yeah, it's some of it is kind of still running off steam from four years in seminary. And before that, four years in Bible school. So you just get used to reading stuff like that, and then it just starts to come naturally, and then you don't even realize that it would put anyone else to sleep, but you're just <laughs> plowing through it in the afternoon with a cup of coffee like it's no big deal. <laughs> so I, this, this is how Nate and I got connected. It was into this world of, of very serious theology books that he specializes in. I waited in with a pitch for him to review my book, Homeschool Sex Machine, which fit right in with his with his, oh, with his website. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it, was a, it was a featured review. <laughs> I, before I went on, you were talking about like how obnoxious my pitch was to you. Do you remember what the pitch was? I, I just remember it was very shock and awe. <laughs> like it was... There was a lot of capitalized words. It wasn't really kind of like, a, hey, you know, maybe if you get time, would you consider reading my book? It, I immediately had fear of missing out after reading your pitch and knew that I had to sit down and read this book. <laughs> you, know, you know where that came from is when that book came out, like I was doing almost all of the, the marketing myself. I just went down like a list of like all the top Christian websites and I had gotten rejected. So, I know you're going to find that hard to believe that a book called Homeschool Sex Machine is not going to get picked up by Tim Challies. Yeah, it's, you know, he's, doesn't he homeschool? Like, it just seems like he reviews books, he homeschools. Why wouldn't that be a perfect fit? 
I don't know. I think I actually got like an email back from his receptionist. Like he didn't even want to touch me himself. I was like, uh, no, this is not really <laughs> what we're gonna do. But no, but I think by the time I got to you, like I'd been rejected so many times. Like I just, I just didn't even care anymore. I was like, I'm gonna write the most obnoxious pitch possible because at least I'm gonna have fun with it if I'm gonna get rejected. And, and that's what drew me in. I was just like, oh, man, this guy has no fear of rejection. So, Hey, my dating career prepared me for that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> as uh, as you, you can probably attest to, being a homeschooler who, who landed at a Christian college and now, now is faced with the, uh, the frenzy of trying to beat the rapture before, you know, trying to find somebody you can get married and have sex with before Jesus comes back. Yeah, yeah. I remember being an angsty homeschool teenager thinking 20 was really late to get married. (laughs) Just it was almost like, you know, it's 18, 19, that's maybe a little too young. But once I get to 20, I mean, like by the time I'm 21, I better be married. And so sure enough, I was first year of Christian college dating someone about to turn 21, thinking about getting married. Moving Um, to the, uh, the slummy married housing on campus. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, she broke up with me over the phone while I was in JFK Airport. So oh. all my dreams shattered. Oh. Did you immediately pivot to, like, a prayer that Jesus would hold back the rapture just a little bit longer? It was, it, well, I immediately got on an airplane and flew to Argentina. But <laughs> as I was drifting off to sleep, there was there was something along those lines. Just kind of, what am I going to do now? Am I going to die a virgin? Like... <laughs> This plane could go down, and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, I, I don't know why that's so scary, but like that is, I think it's because of the repression involved and just being like a like a conservative homeschooler. But that's just a terrifying thought for a homeschooler like myself. Of like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna die without ever you know knowing what a woman's belly button looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Or even her kneecaps. <laughs> Are they just like mine? How do I know? How do, how do we know? We think women have belly buttons, but, you know, it's not like I've been to the beach with, you know, women in bikinis. So, I mean, I don't, as a 16-year-old homeschool boy, these are the questions I need answered. Right. If only, if only they allowed mixed bathing. <laughs> hey, friggin' Josh Harris didn't do us any favors either. I know, right? Yeah, was... he put everybody behind by a couple of years because now everybody was afraid to even be alone with somebody of the opposite sex because I, I guess whatever sin pregnancy yeah I, I don't know I mean it's it's not even fair too because at least he got to kiss dating you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's like bragging about it in his book title but then now because he kissed dating goodbye like we don't get to even think about it <sighs> yeah hmm. Josh Harris that's probably that's probably a completely separate podcast we could do just on Josh Harris uh, true. But that is not a topic for today, Natty C, because we have to move into important things. Nate Claiborne, avid Dolphins fan, as am I. Tell me, yes. why does God hate the Dolphins? You know, it's something I have been trying to figure out through prayer and fasting for a couple decades now, mm-hmm. um, and I still do not have a clear answer. It just It seems like... They are mired in mediocrity, and that's just where God has them right now. The only th- the only thing I can relate it to, like 
theologically is like how God would deal with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Like when one Israelite would do something really bad, he'd just sort of punish everybody. And so I'm just wondering, like, who sinned? Yeah. Do you think <laughs> who it has- sinned in the state of Florida that the Dolphins have to be punished for going on freaking 30 years now? Yeah. Well, I mean, they did give Ricky Williams a contract, you know, back in the was it late 90s, early 2000s. So I think that set him back about 10, 15 years because, <laughs> you know, you can't. You can't endorse a pot smoker like that. Well, there was the uh, the small matter of surrounding Marino with uh, a non-functioning defense and running game for 15 years. That's, you know, let's not let the play calling on the field dictate what's going on, but <laughs> that it could be relevant. Yeah, those are some of like my horrible memories of childhood was staying up to watch them on Monday night or whatever and just watching them, you know, Watching Buffalo break their break our hearts oh, every, uh, yeah. every single friggin' year, and then like the only way I could cope with it was to like put in like Tecmo Bowl or NES Play Action Football on the Nintendo, mm-hmm. and just play as the Dolphins to sort of like reclaim the glory that never was. Right. I think at least we got. I, I would say. I mean, through those early '90s years with all those crushed hopes and dreams, at least Buffalo still lost in the Super Bowl every year. So there was like a little bit of like, ah, you got what was coming to you. But you know, and then the then the Bills declined, and I thought, all right, here's our chance. The Bills are not in the way anymore. And then all of a sudden, we have Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots oh, just being the evil empire in the NFL, which is an evil empire too. But I mean. It works out. Yeah, we, we've, we've, we're usually good for that one random, like, victory over New England that nobody saw coming. Yeah, like it's usually a, early in the season. Per year, and then we no. just sink into the abyss after that. Yeah. it's We're very good at winning games that don't matter <laughs> early in the season, but make you kind of feel good and give you a little bit of hope. <laughs> I, my... My uncle is from South Florida, and he's a big Dolphins fan. So I, I was talking to him last year about like, you know, what is actually the greatest victory of the Marino era? And I could only come up with two. Uh, the first one being when we beat the Bears in '85 to like ruin their perfect season, mm-hmm. and then like the the game, like I think it was like a playoff game where we beat Montana in his final game and sent him into retirement. Oh yeah, that's right. When he was uh, he was on the Chiefs at that point. Yeah. Other than that, like, <laughs> I don't actually know. I, I couldn't tell you. No, it's just, I think that it's almost like the Dolphins as an organization is like an aging superstar in the NBA where it's like, you know, you won a couple championships early on. You had your glory years back in the 70s, but you're still there. You're still playing, but you don't move like you used to. No one expects you to really do anything but you're just still hanging on for whatever reason. That's, I don't know. I, I, a theory does come to me, though, about what might be at play here, because the Dolphins and the Tennessee Vols, my college team, having, having grown up in Knoxville, you have to be a Vols fan. It's kind of... Hey, listen, we, we not, understand that. Nobody's perfect. We accept you anyway. Not I know, anymore. yeah. But... They basically are kind of the same team in that, you know, we had that one national championship 17 years ago, and then we had that one before that, like in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But then other than that, it's like we win a couple close games, but we're never going to beat Florida or Alabama. 
So, you know, we lose the only two games we care about and end up in some kind of mediocre bowl and beat some Big Ten team by five touchdowns, but no one really cares at that point. But here's what I'm thinking. I wonder if it has to do with teams that wear orange. (laughs) Is there something about this orange represents sin and some kind of, like, Bible color-coding scheme? So Tennessee's all orange and mostly mediocre. The Dolphins are part orange and pretty mediocre. The Bengals, orange and black, they seem to always be, you know, they'll make the playoffs, but they're never going to beat Pittsburgh. The Browns. If it matters. The Browns, which is, I guess, ironic because they're trying to be sneaky about it. They're calling themselves the Browns, but those bright orange helmets aren't fooling anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've never actually thought about that. That's a good point. I've never played on a team that had orange colors, though. Was, was your high school team, did it have any orange in it? No, it was it was a Christian high school, so we couldn't use orange or anything <laughs> like that. We, we, were, we were blue and gold, like Jesus Let me guess. wanted. The Eagles? Yep. <laughs> I actually had no idea. I just assumed that every Christian high school is named the Eagles. Yeah, it's just I don't I don't know. I mean, there's other animals in the Bible that we can totally <laughs> utilize. Like uh, when I when uh, when you and I found our own Christian school uh, solely for ex homeschoolers that want to transfer in, we won't accept anyone that hasn't been homeschooled. We can <laughs> call ourselves the uh, the uh, the Song of Solomon's. Oh yeah, there you go. Just to just to make everyone uncomfortable. Oh yeah, see, we, I'm trying to think what, what would would we actually have like a Solomon that comes to like the sports games? <laughs> I don't know. He, I like, really didn't comes, think that comes through. in comes in with a harem like uh, of, of cheerleaders, <laughs> modestly clothed, of course, but still denim skirts for everybody. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, what? That's a, that's a good question. Like, what would the most inappropriate Christian school? Maybe we could call ourselves the Beloveds. Oh, there you go. The Beloveds, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. What, what would be what? What could you actually legitimately use as a mascot for a Christian school that would be edgy but still not? Um, you know, like maybe like a chick, like an anthropomorphic chick, uh, Chick Fil A sandwich, maybe. Oh. You like yeah. how I tried to say anthropomorphic and just completely bungled it right there. Well, it's just it's one of those words you just kind of like say it real fast anyways. <laughs> that's what I was trying to do, but I couldn't even say it fast. I just completely completely bungled it. Just like the Bengals. <laughs> yeah, that Bengals game hurt me as an Alabama fan to watch AJ McCarron come oh, so close. So close. Poor AJ. Actually, not poor AJ. He. uh he did pretty well for himself in the wife department. So, I was gonna say he's he's getting an NFL contract and he's got a he has an attractive wife. Just had a kid. Just had, um, see, he's living the life. Yeah, like he's maybe the life. maybe he can't win a big game, but I mean, neither can I. So, <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of big games, this is probably the most important thing we have to talk about. Okay. On this podcast, <clears throat> Nate Claiborne. If you were attacked by a deer, could you defeat a deer with your bare hands? Oh man, um, male or female? Well, let's go. Let's go both. Let's go female first, and then then let's go with a like a, a buck. Okay, so female first. 
Are we talking like a like a youngest doe or like a fully adult? We're female? talking doe at its at its physical peak. Okay. Um, have I been caught by surprise? Uh, yes, but it, it, it's coming at you from a distance, so you have time to prepare yourself. Like you have a few. It's not like jumping on you from behind. Like it, it pops okay. out in front of you, then it charges you. So you got like a minute to. You have a few moments to, like, stand your ground and work up your like, uh, your your mid thirties angry guy rage. Yeah, I think. I, I I feel like if I got in a tussle with the deer, I might could snap a female's neck. <laughs> I. Well, it wouldn't I don't. Just... I don't know how much blood I would lose from the bites and from the. <laughs> What would it be hoofing, like getting kicked? Um, I think if I could get to the grappling stage, I might have a chance. No, but if, just for the uh, just for the animal lovers on Fun Sexy Bible Time, which we we attract all kinds. We're we're not talking about Nate stalking and killing a deer just for the heck of it. We're talking Nate is in a fight for his own survival. Nate is attacked by the deer. Yeah, this is this is like a cage match, right? It's not like yeah, a, and you wouldn't I'm, necessarily I'm have hungry. to. You wouldn't necessarily have to kill it, but just, like, if you could fight it off to the point where the deer runs away, that would be considered a victory for Nancy. I bet I could break a deer's leg. Maybe two legs. Okay, so what happens if it's a buck with a full set of antlers charging at you? How does that change your strategy? Um, Honestly, I really don't know what I would do in that situation because I don't know how I would get to any vital part of the deer without being viciously mauled by those antlers. Are you, you know, are especially you... in like a head-on collision kind of sense. Like I don't know if I go low and like hope that I can like clip its front legs out from under it, and when it goes face down, then I like break the back legs. And... What if the uh, what if it doesn't like charge directly at you? What if it just stops and like rears up on its back legs and starts pawing at you with its with its front legs? What, what's your what's your go-to move then? Uh, probably the fetal position. I would <laughs> and, until it thinks nothing's wrong. And then spring into action and try to snap the neck. Okay, All right. but maybe end up in the hospital. It's that's what I would imagine. Now, okay. I, it's funny you bring this up. That I have a, I want to say a friend of a friend, and this might be an apocryphal story, which for the kids at home that means not true. Okay. Um, he had a friend that was, I guess, in the Navy or the Marines or something super macho, and told a story about how he would hunt deer in that he would just hide in a tree and when a deer would come below the tree he would jump out, land on it and slit its throat all in one movement that, 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 that was how he went deer hunting that may be apocryphal because I, I, I swear to you, like I have heard that story about a guy that supposedly lives somewhere like in this county in Alabama okay so it's, it's very well could be one of those stories that just kind of gets passed around of a friend of a friend. Yeah, it could be. No one knows this phantom <laughs> deer hunter. Could be. Um, but, you know, like in the in the backwoods of Alabama, you know, like for a lot of people, like deer hunting is like a part of their diet. Like, you know, you kill the deer, you eat it. And like that's what you're going to eat for the next week. So I don't right. know. Like, for some reason that made me even more want to believe that, that like somebody, like, you know, I mean, if you if you're depending on wild game as part of your diet, I mean, that seems kind of reasonable that you could, I don't know. Yeah. 
living on the land, you know, just like just like the founding fathers intended. <laughs> yeah, just like just just like Pat Robertson decreed when he founded America. That's true. Yep, he was right there with Jerry Falwell, and they said, and it was good. <laughs> it was good. All right, so talk to me about Carmen. You're a uh, fellow Carmen fan from back in the day. Many of oh, our, yeah. our listeners are, are familiar with the strange stylings of Carmen. So talk to me about Carmen. Okay, so I, I want to say Carmen was one of my first or second introductions to what we would call music. Um, <laughs> around the addicted to Jesus phase of his career. Uh-huh. And I thought that was, like, the coolest thing ever, and I pretended to play drums to it. Nice. Um, and I'm pretty sure Carmen might have been my first concert when he came to Knoxville and sold out the arena that the basketball team plays in, which mm-hmm. is, a, is a feat that only a few people can do. He was huge. And, and, by, and by that, I mean pretty much anybody could do that. But for a <laughs> Christian artist at that point in time, it was yeah. a big deal. Yeah, it's it's so strange to try to talk to people about Carmen now because there's just nothing in pop culture now. There's like no overlap there. Like the Venn diagram, like there's no overlap with anything in pop culture now. He was completely completely unique for his time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, I think the closest thing in the mid 90s might have been DC Talk in some in some way, just in the sense of like, are they a boy band or are they a rap rock group? Are yeah. they like what's mm-hmm. what's going on here? Like, is this a you know? Yeah. But he was he was even more genre defined than anything they could even dream of. Yeah, I think when he started out, like he was doing a lot of. Uh, I mean, he was still strange when he started out, but um, he think he was doing a lot of like more typical gospel songs. Yeah, and then I think like I think like he just kept getting rejected by the Christian music industry to the point where he finally just basically threw up a middle finger and said, "Okay, you you people aren't going to respect me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do you know a country song, then a rap song, then a you know a rock song, then a then a hymn. You know, I'm just going to go completely 100% outrageous here and just do everything I possibly can." And yeah. That sort of like resonated with a lot of Christians. Like you know, there was it was almost like he was the the Pied Piper for people who were misunderstood, almost. Which is pretty much everyone who was addicted to contemporary Christian music in the early mid nineties. Yeah, because he was so strange. But like, I think that's somehow that spoke to a lot of Christians who felt like they were strange and they weren't accepted, mm-hmm. and they just sort of co-opted him and. Like it was just like a perfect match between artist and audience. Yeah, and I feel like it's something that can't... Like, there was, I think through the 90s, there was still that uh, stream in Christian culture of, like, embracing, to some extent, being, a, you know, a Jesus freak, or, you know, we're, we're not like you guys, we're different, we're not of the world. And now, you know, 20 years later there's nothing comparable to that there's like how can we get the world to think we're cool yeah I, I agree with that somewhat I think it was different in the actual Christian music industry of the 90s because I think I think in the 90s like the Christian music world was so obsessed with like we have to be seen as legitimate 
and so like they would push like the Michael W. Smith out, out in front of everybody like this is the face of Christian music and then and the people who were weird like Carmen and Rich Mullins like they just they kind of like tried to hide those people in the back yeah it's true which when you bring up Rich Mullins it, it kind of it, I wonder if what Carmen could have done to cement his legacy would have been to die <laughs> oh gosh like, you don't want to suggest that as a strategy, but no. there's a there's a sense in which how would Carmen be remembered now if he had passed away tragically in '97? Yeah, I feel like he'd be beloved. You know, I, I feel like he'd be um, it's similar to Keith Green, I guess. I mean, that, that, that's a reference that probably outdates oh. a lot of the audience. But Keith Green was very strange, and yeah. uh, you know, he died early, and and he's. You know, by people who are older than you and I, he's remembered very fondly. Yeah, it's but. just, it, it's, it's wonder, I guess it's what would happen to their, their legacy, like, album-wise, because it's like, you're stuck with, like, a finite number of albums, you don't end up, like, I was just looking on Apple Music at Carmen's available albums, and, like, they're all greatest hits compilations, for the <laughs> most part, but there's, like, seven different versions of it like the top hits mm-hmm. you know? um, but you can't get addicted to Jesus for some reason mm. but you know however Apple wants to do it but it's just kind of it's interesting just kind of going back and looking through and seeing like okay you can he's really kind of a singles person even though he was intentionally trying to make coherent albums to some extent uh-huh. you know like the champion like everything's like this is kind of a 70s prog rock band approach to album making like I'm not making a single I'm making a cohesive rock opera whole thing that you listen to in one sitting Mm -hmm. and you know hardly anybody does that now yeah yeah it is pretty amazing like there's like Carmen and Rich Mullins like they'd be (laughs) like there's no way like if they were to somehow come along in 2016 like (laughs) Like, there's no way they could make it as a Christian artist. Right. Well, because there's not even really... There's not, I mean, I, and I, I might be speaking in ignorance here, but it feels like there's not even really a Christian contemporary music scene anymore. Like, yeah, there's still very, Christian contemporary artists. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, I think digital music changed that a little bit, but also, like... Yeah, I just think the uh, Christian music... The music it's actually putting out now is different. Like, if you don't have like a praise and worship angle. Right. Or if you don't have Lecrae rapping the bridge of your hit single, like, you know, there's just not a lot of room for you. Right. It's kind of, there's two genres at this point. There's mm-hmm. Hillsong-y kind of praise and worship, or there's something that's hip-hop oriented. Yeah. Yeah, or that has like a, like a crappy EDM. <laughs> oh, there you go. Beat to it. Yeah. I mean, how can you explain Carmen? You just just one of those things. It's it, there needs to be some kind of unauthorized like biography or <laughs> unauthorized like documentary slash thriller type movie that's made. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe he plays himself in it. Maybe he plays someone else in it. <laughs> just because that seems like a Carmen thing to do. Like he'll be in it. He's the director, but he won't play himself. Uh, let's have Carmen as Bill Gaither, and um, I don't know, maybe like Dave Franco as Carmen. 
there you go. Yeah, perfect. And it'll be like it'll be Carmen like dressed up like Bill Gaither, where it's like very obviously that it's Carmen dressed up like Bill Gaither. <laughs> one of the Franco boys, either one. I'm, I'm cool with either one. Maybe they could swap out at different points <laughs> in the trajectory of the story. <laughs> Young Carmen and old Carmen. Yeah, or, or just randomly. I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> we don't need to keep it chronological. <laughs> So then the whole time you keep checking your phone while you're watching it, because, like, is it Dave Franco or is it James Franco that's playing Carmen? Mm. And you can't ever, for some reason it's not on IMDb because it's such an underground film. Mm. And so you can never really know for sure. I I look forward to you reviewing that film on Christ and Pop Culture. Oh, yeah. If it gets made, I, I will push for a review. Even though I'm not the movie guy, I'll make sure somebody reviews it one one way or the other. Oh, on that note, I don't think we can top that. Uh, probably. Probably not. Nick Claiborne, thank you for being with us on Fun Sexy Bible Time. Yeah, you, it was my pleasure, just like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Where can the people find you on Twitter, real quick? Uh, just at Nate Claiborne on Twitter. Or basically, if you Google Nate Claiborne, I think you can find me in all kinds of places. Boom, he is that famous. You just put him in and all his stuff pops up. Nate Clay, we're looking forward to seeing what you're going to be doing on your site. And thank you again for coming to the underground with us. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Well, I should be good. Sit. Signal-wise. Anthropomorphic, 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 anthrop